0: And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile. She was a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast a demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, good morning.
1: Uh, Just uh, last week, um, audio leaked from a closed-door council session in the city of Los Angeles that scandalized the whole community. In it, one of the commissioners engaged in what were clearly racist and demeaning comments about other commissioners, other politicians in the city, Um, It was one of those just jaw-dropping moments where people go, yeah, politics is corrupt and a lot of dirty things happen around redistricting and competitive political situations. But this one was just pretty jaw-dropping. It made all the news headlines. Everyone was talking about it, It especially highlighted racial tension between the Latinos and African-Americans in L.A. And uh, I think just further highlighted uh, just our distrust and cynicism about people in power, right? We live in a cultural moment where trust in public officials, um, trust in uh, religious authorities, trust in, you name it, pretty much anyone with power in, a, in our authority in our culture is at an all-time low. And this story was just one of many. Uh, we could have given so many of stories of people in power acting badly, people in power behaving Badly using their power and influence in ways that are demeaning or hurtful to other people. So when we come to Mark 7, 24 to 30, one of Jesus' most difficult sayings, we're, we're pretty triggered, right? We, we just think, wait, did Jesus just call a Gentile woman a dog? Uh, is he hesitant to heal her sweet little girl who's been tormented by a demon? Is he caving into the worst racist and ethnic impulses? Of his time. Um, does Jesus do all things well, as our passage goes on to say, or is he just another authority figure behaving badly? Inquiring minds want to know, right? We want to know what is Jesus doing here. Uh, and my uh, big idea for this morning is that sometimes we have to wrestle with the hard sayings of Jesus before we can come to a place of wonder and worship. Sometimes we have to dig down into the text a little bit. We have to wrestle with the text a little bit, of what Jesus is actually saying before we can make up our mind and draw any quick conclusions to what otherwise might be a very offensive word from uh, Jesus. So we're going to look very closely at this opening scene where Jesus is engaging with this Gentile. Woman, this desperate woman, and we 're also going to look at this second scene about a man with a disability. two stories um, that are very different, but I think all lead to one point that Mark wants to make here in our text and my aim for for this morning 's sermon is that we would wrestle with the hard sayings of Jesus and that we would be moved um, like this man and his friends to wonder and bold witness for jesus so let 's pray as we dive into our text this morning, get to wrestle with God's word a little bit this morning. Uh, Father, it's pretty easy for us to gloss over Jesus' harder words, to have a domesticated version of Jesus that never uh, offends us. And so would you help us to wrestle this morning with Jesus' words? Would you give us a desperate faith like this woman, and we walk away with the same wonder as the crowds who have encountered Jesus and seen him moving and working. And so would you come uh, by the power of your spirit this morning, speak to your people through your word. So we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So after his confrontation with the scribes and the Pharisees from Jerusalem, which Ken preached on last week, did a phenomenal job, walking us through that conflict. Jesus wanted to get as far away from the religious establishment as he could, so he went to the most notoriously pagan region in Palestine, the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is a region um, where the notorious Queen Jezebel from the Old Testament uh, came from, and it continued to be a very pagan place right up into the first century. The Jewish historian Josephus said the inhabitants of Tyre were notoriously our bitterest enemies. So Jesus is going into enemy territory. Jesus is getting away from the Jewish establishment, from the Jewish kind of holy land, and getting out into a different kind of town. So Jesus comes to Tyre, and we pick up Uh, The story here in verse, um, let me jump on over here. We're in Mark 7. Jesus picks up the story here in verse 24. From there he arose and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. And so Jesus here, he's entered this region of Tyre and then a desperate woman crashes The party. Uh, We read on here in verse 25 through 26. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of it, came and fell down at his feet. Now, this woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And so, even in the most pagan part of Palestine, apparently Jesus' uh, reputation preceded him. And that reputation has spread not just among the Jews, but even to the Gentiles. So a Gentile, this is a non-Jewish woman from this region, learns where Jesus is living, is able to enter the house and falls down at his feet, right? We've seen these kind of dramatic things throughout Mark's gospel. We saw this back in chapter five with the woman, uh, with the bleeding, who just falls down at Jesus' feet in desperation. And she begs him, to cast the demon out of her daughter. The Greek verb here is is an ongoing verb, to keep on begging. This is a past kind of ongoing action. She is just at Jesus' feet, just begging him to heal her daughter. She makes this dramatic entrance and this dramatic request here. And so if you can imagine the scene here, Jesus is trying to get away. He's trying to escape. He's locked himself in a house. You know, he's got his own little Airbnb, he's hanging with the disciples, they're getting a little rest and relaxation, this woman just comes in, and as so often happens in Jesus' ministry, we have these divine interruptions. I love how Tim Keller describes her desperation here. Uh, He says it like this, he says, you know why she has this burst of boldness, don't you? There are cowards, there are regular people, there are heroes, and then there are parents. <laughs> Any of you who are parents, right, you know if your child parents are not really on the spectrum from cowardice to courage, right? Because your child is in jeopardy, you simply do what it takes to save her. It doesn't matter whether you're normally timid or brazen, your personality is irrelevant. You don't have to think twice, you do what it takes. So it's not all that surprising that this desperate mother is willing to push past all the barriers, right? She is a desperate woman and she is going to get to Jesus no matter the cost. If you're a parent, you probably know that same feeling of rushing your child off to the ER to get some help, right? If you're going to go push through any obstacles, break through any boundaries to make sure your child is well. Desperation is one of the key themes in Mark's gospel. The leper in chapter one, right, comes to Jesus and begs for healing, right? The paralytic man in chapter 2, like, is so desperate, his friends lower him through the roof to get to Jesus. The crowds, right, almost crush Jesus, trying to bring all of their sick to Jesus, right? In chapter 4, it's the disciples who are desperate. There's a storm. Their boat is sinking, and they're going down, and they cry out to Jesus, right? The woman back in chapter 5, right, Who's been bleeding or all and is just stuck, right? Just trying to touch the edge of his garment. It's whole, in chapter six, it's whole towns and villages just trying to get, just touch Jesus' cloak and receive healing. And so Mark paints us this vivid picture here of desperation, right? It's, it's a picture of a woman in need of help from Jesus. And and my question for you as we enter into this story. And this text is how desperate are you for Jesus' help? How aware are you of your need? Because Mark wants us to see that desperate people are the ones that receive a touch from Jesus. And, and when we come with it all together, uh, with our life all figured out, all cleaned up, looking great for Sunday morning church, it's very tempting for us, right, to just kind of come without a sense of desperation. We're we're living here in West Michigan. We're all pretty well-adjusted, upwardly mobile, middle-class folks. And we miss out on the fact that, that those are the people that miss Jesus. They don't get help from Jesus. It's the people that are desperate. It are people that are crying out for help, that are aware of the needs. And I don't know what it is for you this morning, if there's a point of desperation in your life as you think about maybe relationship. Maybe this woman is thinking about her daughter. Maybe you're thinking about your own kids. Maybe you're thinking about your relationship with your spouse. Maybe you're thinking about the fact that you don't have relationships. Maybe it's your job or school. But Mark wants us to see it's, it's desperate people that receive a touch from Jesus. So how will Jesus respond to this unwanted guest who's just crashed the party? Mark quotes Jesus' words verbatim in verse 27, and and they're some of the most offensive in the Gospels and all, and something we need to look at a little bit more closely. If you're following along your Bible, which you're going to want to, because we need to dig in to these texts and understand, what is Jesus actually saying? Because in verse 27, he says, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This is Jesus talking here. here. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now now if you've been around the church for a while, this was kind of mind-boggling. This is not exactly what we're expecting from Jesus, right? Did Jesus just call this woman a dog like this poor desperate woman? Is he indulging in the racial prejudices of his time? Didn't he just say in our last teaching that no food is unclean? So wait a minute, are, are people now unclean? What is going on in our text, right? This raises all kinds of red flags for us today. Now in Jesus' world, this would certainly be offensive, but it was how most devout Jews talked about Gentiles. And Gentiles, were equally uncomplimentary to to Jews, right? There was a lot of ethnic and racial tension, but it's very important to note that this was not racially motivated, but religiously motivated, right? Devout Jews kept strict laws of separation from the nations around them, based in the Old Testament, based on the Torah. So Jesus is using biblical categories. The Jews were God's children, and the dogs was language they used, right? This common pejorative term, For pagans, right, people indulging in wild living, right, the unjust, the immoral, the ungodly. Uh, Think of that great category of the sinners, the tax collectors, and the prostitutes. These were the dogs, right? These were the people that were so far from God that they could never receive a touch from his hand. And, of course, the rabbis of Jesus' day took even further steps to separate themselves from the unclean, from, from the pagans, from those Gentile influences, Around them, but Jesus is not primarily concerned with the religious conventions of first century Jewish culture. He is much more concerned about his own mission. And if we look carefully, we're going to see this right here in verse 27. You see, he tells the woman that he came for the lost children of Israel first, and then his kingdom will extend to the lost Gentiles, the great sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, these Gentile dogs, right? His mission requires that he start with God's people, but it certainly won't end there. He came to save sinners, and even he came to save sinners, and so that is where we land in Jesus' text. Jesus is telling this woman, my priority, my mission is to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles. And so even with this clarification, right, even with this in mind, this is a pretty hard work, right? Because her daughter is still out of luck, right? His daughter is, she's like basically been shut down by Jesus. And I just want you to just think for yourself, just put yourself maybe in her position for a moment, right? You you come in to Jesus' house. He's sitting here lounging around, and you get that response from Jesus, right? Your daughter's sick, you're, you're desperate, you fall at his feet, you're, you're just begging for mercy, and Jesus says, yeah, let the children be fed first. It's not right that we give the dogs the children's food. How would you respond? <laughs> How would you respond? Soliciting some audience participation. I know how I would respond. <laughs> Disappointed. That's nice. I like that. Disappointed is a good word there. And I'd be mad. I would be like, What the heck? You just <laughs> totally like, you don't care about my little daughter? Like, you're going to get into technicalities about Jews and Gentiles? Are you kidding me? Like, I would be flipping out my lid, especially if you're desperate and not thinking clearly, anyways. And so, I find it so remarkable what this woman does. We've got to look closely here in this text, but I just want you to put yourself in this woman's shoes because this is who we are, right? We're we're the Gentiles in the text. We're the the people, right, that Jesus has come to reach, and and we have got to find ourselves in this story. If we're going to find ourselves in our story, we're not the hero, we're not Jesus, right? We're this woman at Jesus' feet, desperate and begging. And I know for me, anyways, there's a knee-jerk reaction like, No way am I taking that from Jesus. But look at what this woman does instead in verse 28 through 30. Notice her response. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Notice that. Yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. This woman is not deterred by Jesus' mission to the Jews. Right? She takes Jesus' parable at face value and asks for some of the crumbs from the table. She enters into the parable. Uh, the commentator James Edwards notes that she's the first person in Mark to hear and understand a parable of Jesus. She's like, oh, okay, if, if I'm the dog of the story, then I guess I'll just need to take some of the crumbs. She's desperate enough to humble herself to the level of eating crumbs from the table if those crumbs can heal her daughter. While most of us couldn't get past being called dogs, right, being called sinners, she chooses to focus on the crumbs from the table. And interestingly enough, the Greek word Jesus uses here for feeding the children is the exact same word he uses for feeding the 4,000 and the 5,000, which are the two parables on either side of this story. Jesus bountiful feeding of his people is one of the major themes here that Mark wants to highlight. And I think Mark wants his Gentile readers to see that the Messianic feast will be so great that there will be plenty for all. Right, The scraps from the table, even the crumbs from the table are enough to fill, enough to feed the nations. You see, She is acknowledging that Jesus need to go to the Jews, but even more importantly, she recognizes the largesse of Jesus, Jesus' generosity, the bounty of Jesus' table. With Jesus, even the crumbs are a feast. Are you wrestling with a hard word from Jesus this morning? Maybe something in your life where you've come to Jesus and it doesn't seem like his timetable works out with yours, you know, health issue uh, like this woman is wrestling with a relationship a job a situation where things are a mess right do you have this kind of desperate assertiveness this kind of humble boldness that this woman shows in her parable uh, tim tim keller notes again i think this is helpful for us he says in western cultures we don't have anything like this assertiveness we only have the assertion of our rights We don't know how to contend unless we're standing up for our rights, standing on our dignity and goodness, saying, this is what I'm owed. But this woman is not doing that at all. This is righteous, rightless assertiveness, something we know little about. She's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She's saying, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness, and I need it now. This may be, I think, the hardest application for us to receive today, right, because of our middle-class morality, because we're pretty good people, you know, and, you know, you might need a little help from Jesus, but, like, desperation, isn't that pushing it? You know, real sinners, right, that's not what we think we need, right? We don't receive criticism well. We don't receive no or not well now, and we definitely don't receive anything that feels like a personal affront or a personal insult or a personal put-down, but if we learn anything from this scene, it's that Jesus responds to this desperate assertiveness and humble boldness. Jesus is so impressed by this woman's humble faith, he makes an exception to his focus on the Jews, and that exception, as we will see, becomes the rule after Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and sending of the Spirit at Pentecost, right? All of a sudden, we see everything change. These dogs, right, become part of the family of God. Uh, N.T. Wright uh, says it really well, I think. He said, The dogs under the table were already sharing the children's bread. Pretty soon they would cease to be dogs and become children alongside the others. Mark, we may be sure as an eye at least, one eye at least on his own community, in which Gentiles had come to share in the kingdom blessed, blessings promised to Israel, because, precisely because... We must understand Jesus' words as referring to a temporary short-term urgency in which Israel needed to hear the gospel before it was too late. We must also see that this short-term situation came to an end with the crucifixion, never to return. As Jesus dies, Mark has a Roman centurion affirm that he was truly the Son of God. From that moment on, what was anticipated in the Syrophoenician woman becomes universally true. The King of the Jews has become the Savior of the world. God's blessings, God's bounty have broken through all the old ethnic, religious, and racial lines, and we all get a seat at the table. That's the beautiful good news that this this parable, this story, this scene points us to. So in our first scene, we see this desperate woman moving towards Jesus and receiving from Jesus the healing and the help that she needs. In scene two, we see Jesus moving towards a man with a disability. And so we're going to read through uh, this one slightly quicker, I think. Starting in verse 31, when he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Decapolis, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. Like the paralytic in chapter 2, this man's friends bring him to Jesus. I love that. I always love when you have somebody's friends bringing them to Jesus. I don't know if anybody dragged you along. Some of your friends dragged you along to church this morning or whatever, but I love the fact that this man has friends that are willing to bring him to Jesus. Here's a man who has a chronic disability, right? He can't hear and he can't speak. He has been totally cut off from society, unable to hear or speak to others. In a world with no special care for disabilities, there's no Americans with Disabilities Act going on in the first century. This man is absolutely helpless, socially ostracized. We can only imagine how difficult his life would have been, unable to communicate with his contemporaries. How's he gonna work? How's he gonna support himself? Fortunately, he has some friends, right, that bring him to Jesus. And notice the tenderness in Jesus' response, right? If Jesus' first response is pretty blunt, is pretty offensive. This second response, I mean, just melts your heart with the tenderness of Jesus. Notice what he says in verse thirty-three. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and, after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, <laughs> "I'm going to totally mess this up. I didn't practice this enough. <laughs> this Aramaic word, which is great, be opened." Thank you, Kate. You got it. And his ears were open, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. You see, Jesus has so much compassion for this man that he takes him aside from the crowd, right? This man has been a spectacle his whole life. Oh, there goes the deaf and mute guy walking down the road again, can't communicate with anybody. Jesus just takes him aside from the crowd. He's not out there to make a big scene. And then he uses language that can, can communicate with this guy. He can't understand what Jesus is saying. So Jesus just takes his hands and just puts his fingers in his ears. I'm going to heal your ears. I'm going to spit out his hand and touches his tongue. There's just so much. Jesus is entering this man's world in the same way this woman was entering Jesus' world. Jesus enters the man's world, ministers to him, and then just looks up to heaven, prays, and just utters a simple word, common word, be open, and immediately Uh, his ears are opened, his mouth is loose so he can speak. It's a a remarkable healing uh, and fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah, right? Isaiah 35, five through six, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, right? The Messiah is here. He's on the scene and he's bringing in God's new creation for his people. This is, Healing is immediate, right? And once Jesus continues, and once again, Jesus continues his practice of telling him not to tell anybody, right? He's, he's constantly saying this, and nobody ever pays attention, but, but he says this in verse 35. In ears, okay, so verse 36, Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done All things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. I I love this passage. This man's friends are filled with wonder and they can't help but witness to what Jesus has done. They can't help but spread the news of what Jesus is doing. And this grassroots communication spreads like wildfire, right? The Romans can't stamp it down because it's not coming from them. The Jewish authorities can't lock it down because it's not coming from them. This is this beautiful decentralized community just coming from the ground up, just normal everyday people just spreading the good news of Jesus and his kingdom, the healing that he brings uh, and the rescue that he offers so Mark lets us wrestle with Jesus' words to the Syrophoenician woman, and then closes the session with the friend's wonder and witness. He does all things well. What what a beautiful description of Jesus' ministry! And so, I think the question we need to reflect on in conclusion this morning: Where are you at this morning? Right? Are you pretty apathetic about Jesus, or you wanting to tell everyone who asks? that Jesus does all things well. Living in a world filled with scandals and corruption and abuse of power, are you skeptical and jaded about Jesus? Are all your defenses up, or are you coming desperate and helpless uh, like the people in these two scenes? Are you aware, more aware of the offense of the gospel, right? The fact that it calls us sinners, right? Or are you more aware of the abundant grace and mercy and provision we have in Jesus. I want to remind you of the gospel. What uh, Tim Keller says here, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we could ever dare to believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. And my hope and my prayer is that we would be a church where desperate and helpless people could come and find that they're more loved and accepted than they could ever hope or imagine by Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his ministry and his message, both the the bluntness to this Syrophoenician woman, uh, God, and also this tenderness to this helpless man with a disability, Father. Today, as we wrestle with Jesus, as we have time around Jesus' table to be fed with the bread from his table, and I pray that you'd minister to each person in this room, every desperate person uh, just falling at your feet, just want to lay down their hurts and their pains, their their sin and their suffering at the feet of Jesus, that you would do your beautiful work uh, of ministry here, and we pray it all in Jesus' name.